Now, thinking about the word message, uh, let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to read from verse 13. John 19, New Testament. Remember Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. John chapter 19 and we're at verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him. Away with him. Crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two others with him. On either side one, and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. Amen. We know God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text tonight is taken again from John chapter 19. And the verses that we want to focus on this evening is verses 19 through to 22. And my subject this evening is the title... On the cross. Now look at verse 19. It tells us, And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Now we're told, of course, in the Bible, what was written on this title. 
Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Verse 20 informs us that this title or this sign was read by many of the Jews. Why? Because the place of crucifixion was just outside the city gate of Jerusalem. And that this title or this sign was written in three languages. Verse 20, in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Now, let me inform you that when the Romans crucified anyone, they always put a sign above the head of the victim that was crucified. And this sign, of course, was to give a reason as to why this individual had been condemned to death by crucifixion. In other words, this sign would have outlined the details of the crimes and the charges that was put against the individual that was crucified. And the sign, of course, was written beforehand and then it was fastened to the cross or the stake or the tree um, before the uh, individual was nailed upon it. It's interesting that John tells us and Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. Verse 20, this title. Notice the word title that's mentioned twice. You see, I make reference to this because certain skeptics and Bible deniers have seized on the different words that have been used to describe this sign. Matthew 27 and 27 calls it an accusation. Mark fifteen twenty six talks about the superscription of his accusation. Again, Luke uses the word superscription, Luke 23, 38. And John calls it a title. And these Bible deniers, of course, the minute they come across these different words, they allege here's a contradiction in the Bible. And they ask the question, is it an accusation? Is it a superinscription? Or is it a title? And we have to answer that by way of a charge and we tell them there's no contradictions in the Bible. Let's think of all four Gospels. Here we are. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And what we're getting, of course, is a complete picture, a, a composite picture, a, 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 a full, a, a total picture of the events that surrounded the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. And we could focus on any one of these um, particular descriptions of this sign. Now we're familiar with signs. And I want us to focus tonight on John's description of the sign on the cross. He called it a title. And I want us to think tonight the title on the cross. And there's three things that I want to set before you. I want you to notice, first of all, that this is an unalterable title. It was Pilate who instructed probably his scribes to pen this title. And he gave him the words. This is what I want you to write now. Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. And we're told in verse 20 this title was read by many of the Jews. 
Getting it out through the gate of Jerusalem. They looked at the figure of Jesus Christ crucified on the center tree. They would have read this title, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. And they were mad. They were furious. They were upset. So they go to the chief priests. The chief priests in turn, they go to Pilate. And they say to Pilate, write not the king of the Jews. But that he said, I am king of the Jews. Now you know Pilate's answer. Here's his response. What I have written, I have written. In other words, he informs the chief priests that this is unalterable. This cannot be changed. Now, remember the chief priests represent the official religious delegation of the Jewish people. They have already said to to Pilate, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Pilate has set Christ in front of them after he scourged him and said, Behold your king. What was their response? Verse 15 of John 19. We have no king but Caesar. And that gives us a little insight into their thinking and their attitude. And they come to Pilate and they say, Look, we're unhappy with this title we don't want you to write Jesus of Nazareth King of the Jews we want you to write Jesus of Nazareth who said I am King of the Jews Pilate said what I have written I have written now of course when you think of this unalterable title doesn't it apply to the written word of God the Bible the scriptures it says in John 10 and verse 37. The scripture cannot be broken. You see I believe providentially. God himself was behind the scenes. And God himself providentially was involved in the writing. And the writing could not be changed. The writing could not be altered. The the writing was to stand for all time. And when we apply that to the scriptures. Let's remember. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. In other words, the Greek word is theonustos, God breathed. All scripture is as a result of the breath of God. Wasn't it the Lord Jesus himself taught in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel in uh, Matthew chapter 5 he, he, he said think not that I'm come to destroy the Lord, the prophets I'm not come to destroy but to fulfill for verily I say unto you till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled And of course, there's controversy about the written word today. There's those who are mad and furious because of what's written. 
They want it changed. And of course, we only think of the prolifer and, and, and clamour for a change of the English version of the Bible. It's interesting that some time ago, a judge by the name of Judge Ray Moore, he was a chief justice in the state of Alabama, and uh, he brought the Ten Commandments, had them inscribed and into this courtroom. And he wanted to let the um, people who were before him know that they were being judged on the basis of these Ten Commandments. He was a Christian. And there was such a, an uproar, such a hoo-ha, that, that the Ten Commandments was actually physically removed from his courtroom and he himself was, was evicted from office. See, there are those who hate God, hate the Bible, hate light. And whenever the Bible is set before them and God's truth is presented to them, then they can do nothing but ridicule it and do nothing but slander and do nothing but stir up controversy. What I have written, Pilate says, can apply to the written word. But more than that, it applies in particular to the incarnate word, for it's a reference about Christ. And the tense of the writing, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, it's as if Jesus is king now. See, that's what really what made the Jews so mad. Because whenever you think of the message of Christ, Jesus Christ is king now. He was king before he came from heaven. He was king when he was born. Remember the wise men asked the question, where is he that is born king of the Jews? And that's what made Herod furious and caused Herod, of course, to send his soldiers around uh, the uh, countryside, especially Judea, and kill all two-year-old males and under, because he wanted to kill this one that was born king of the Jews. Christ was king while he lived in this earth. Christ is king of the whole world. King of all history. And that's an unalterable fact. And it can't be changed. And he reigns as king of glory now. Here's the question. Is he your king? Have you bowed the knee to Christ? Have you come as a subject and said, My Lord and my king. Have you bowed the knee in submission to him? And surrendered your, your life to him? We think of that tremendous hymn. But drops of grief can ne'er repay. The depth of love I owe. Here, Lord, I give myself away. Tis all that I can do. When we think of who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us in love, when we think of the, the passion of his cross and all that that entailed, physical, mental, spiritual suffering, bearing the guilt and, uh, and punishment of our sin in his own body in the tree, surely, as Jeremiah says, anything to you, all ye that pass by. Is it anything? To, to those who look in Christ, look and live, they can do nothing else but give themselves entirely to him. Here am I, Lord. 
was Isaiah's response. This is an unalterable title. Notice, secondly, this is a universal title. The place was near the city where Jesus was crucified. This was a public highway. People walked past. Soldiers were there. Others were there. This sign was easy to see. It was easy to read. The Bible says, This title then read many of the Jews. Notice the verb there, read. The word many means a multitude. They came and turned and told the chief priests. <coughs> See, I'm convinced that this was a big topic of the conversation. They probably were t- discussing this around the dinner table. They were discussing this probably in the, 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 the tea rooms and, and the coffee shops. They were discussing this in the marketplace. Did you hear what Pilate wrote above the head of that person, Jesus of Nazareth? You know what he called him? King of the Jews. Notice also here that it was written in three languages, Hebrew, Greek and Latin. Have you ever asked yourself why it was written in three languages? Well, maybe you could say, well, there's a simple answer. Hebrew was for the Jews that lived in Jerusalem. Greek were for the Greeks that visited Jerusalem. And Latin, of course, well, that was for the Romans that occupied Jerusalem and the land of Israel at that time. And and that's right. Uh, And that could be a very simple explanation as to why Herod wrote it in three languages. Let me put it a different way. She have said this was a universal title. Hebrew was the language of religion in Jerusalem at that time. The Jewish religion. And when I think of religion, I think of the religions of this world. And they've got their own little plan. And they've got their own idea. And they've got their own system of works about how to be in a right relationship with God and get to heaven. Do this, they say. Follow this pattern. Take these steps. You'll be okay. And of course, that's how the false cults can get so many converts in one year. Because really, at the end of the day, it's a system of works. It bolsters man's pride. If you join this church and if you get baptised and if you follow this and give so much money and and you abstain from this and you embrace this. It's all a religion of works. And the Jewish religion was no different. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2 and 8, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and not, not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. Titus said, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he hath saved us. And isn't this something that the Lord Jesus dealt with even in the Sermon on the Mount? He told us there in that wonderful sermon as he made his application in Matthew chapter 7 and verse um, uh, 21. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, 
This is the day for which all other days are made. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? In thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Listen to verse 23. And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Let's remember, Paul emphasized in Romans 3 and 19, all under sin. See, in the opening chapters of Romans, Paul was underscoring the reason why we need to be justified, legally declared righteous in the sight of God. And he proved that the Jews were under sin. He proved that the Gentiles were under sin. And his conclusion was, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's no difference, he was emphasizing. We're all born sinners. And that's the starting point for every one of us. And because we're sinners, we need to be saved. And the only one who can save us is Christ. Acts 4 verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven. Whereby we must be saved. How can we be saved? Jesus said I am the way. The truth. The life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. The only road to God is by Jesus Christ. Not by religion. We don't preach religion. We preach a personal relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the only road to God. And in fact, he's the only revelation from God because he's the embodiment of truth. Aye, and more than that, he's the only one who can bring about true life and joy and fulfillment and the realization of satisfaction. It was written in Hebrew for the Jews. King of the Jews. Your religion means nothing because he's the final authority. He's the expert on religious affection and affairs. He's the king. You listen to your king. Notice also here, very quickly, the language of Renaissance. You see, it says it was written in Greek. And of course the simple explanation is it's for the Greek speaking people who were visiting Jerusalem at that time. But I think there's also another aspect. The word Greek speaks of culture. Speaks of learning. And of course the Greeks take great pride in their culture and their learning. Took great pride in their literature and their music just like we do in the 21st century, in their art, in their drama, in their architecture, in their poetry. And the Greek not only took great pride in these things, but they found satisfaction and they found a a sense of fulfillment in in doing these things. This was written in the Greek language because it was sending a message for them that what truly blesses our lives What truly beautifies our lives? What what truly benefits our lives? Is it not having loyalty to this one that is called the King of the Jews? Because of his king, he's king of all, including our culture. 
including our learning. Once you recognize Christ as king and bow the knee to him, then you'll, you'll not only love him, but you'll live for him and you'll be loyal to him. That'll bring about tremendous blessing and beautification in the life. That'll bring tremendous benefits and privileges, even in areas like culture and learning. And of course, then you've got the language of the Romans it says, and Latin. Here's the three languages. The Romans, of course, stood for a political legal system of law and justice. The laws of imperial Rome were being enacted here in the crucifixion of Christ. And they had a certain standard, and that standard was enforced. The Romans, of course, did call for common decency and the treatment of others. And they even had a certain amount of respect and treatment of dead bodies. And this writing in Latin was sending out a message to the Romans that you're crucifying the king. And he's not only king of the Jews, but he's king of you as well. Because you're all under his rule. You're all accountable to him. Here's the kingship of Christ, and it extends to every corner of the life of the known world the Jewish world, the Greek world, the Roman world. Many areas. He's the ultimate authority, he's the final authority. Reaching out, this title did to all people. God is no respecter of person, regardless of your race, regardless of your nobility, regardless of your nationality. Here's a message for you. That's why it was written in three languages. It was a universal title. And notice also, it's a unique title. Why such a sign? You see, I said earlier that when the Romans crucified an individual, as they probably did for the two thieves, they took details and highlights of the individual's crime that caused them to be worthy of death because of fiction, and they nailed it to the tree upon which they were crucified. They wanted the people to know what the individual has been charged with. This was part of their legal system. So that they wouldn't be accused of um, crucifying somebody without having a crime nailed above their head. But it's interesting. There's no crime mentioned in this title. If Pilate had changed it at the behest of the chief priests and wrote I am the king of the Jews, then he could have been charged with treason and blasphemy. But this was a statement of fact. Jesus of Nazareth, the, there's the definite article, the king of the Jews. Why is no crime mentioned? Why is there nothing that alleges Christ is guilty of something wrong? Here's the answer. Because Jesus Christ is absolutely sinless. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In him was no sin. He says in John 
848, which have you convinced of me of sin? He said, the prince of this world cometh and of nothing in me. There was not a single charge to be laid at the feet of Christ. Pilate said, when he examined him, I find no fault in him. Pilate's wife said, have nothing to do with that just man. It was Judas Iscariot said, I have betrayed innocent blood. It's interesting that one of the thieves on either side of Christ who would have saw this title, this sign, said, after reviling Christ for a time, this man had done nothing amiss. And that man not only saw that Jesus Christ was sinless, but he also saw that Jesus was a saviour. See, he would have known there probably was a, a sign above his head. A thief and a murderer. Because the Bible doesn't tell us that. We're only supposing. I'm only conjecturing. But there was something happened as he was dying on one side of Christ. He was reading the superinscription. Luke 23, 42. And he read it. Jesus of Nazareth. The king of the Jews. This man's a king. He's the king. And as a king, this man must have a kingdom. And I know his name, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, that's where he, he, he come from. And this name, Jesus, that name, of course, written in these languages, would have meant saviour. And there's no crimes mentioned other than this statement of fact. This man, in a moment, Cried out, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. In other words, he accepted Christ as his king. He wanted to be part of that kingdom. He realized that Christ was sinless. He realized that Christ was a savior. Yes, for a moment, he, at a time he had reviled Christ along with his uh, compadre in crime. But then he repented. This man had done nothing amiss. And he seemed the same. He read the title. This was really the first gospel tract. What a wonderful thing it is to give out a gospel tract. People have testified receiving a gospel tract. Passing it on. And through that tract, individuals have been brought to Christ. This man received him as Lord and Saviour. This man was given hope that day. He was dying in his last few moments. His last hour. This man was pardoned. What did Jesus say? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. This man seen Christ not only as a saviour but a sovereign. Lord remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Lord I accept you as a king. I accept you've got a kingdom. I want to be part of that Lord. Lord think of me. Have mercy on me. And even though this man was on the cross. This man was a penitent sinner. A malefactor, a thief, a robber. Maybe even involved in other crimes. But you know the Bible says, Whosoever shall call in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he called in the name of the Lord. The sinless one that he was looking at. The saviour. He, he heard what the people said about the cross. He saved others. Perhaps he thought, is there hope for me? Yes, there is. And he cried out, Lord, remember me. He bowed the knee in a spiritual way. 
and receive Christ. This is a unique title. I leave this title with you tonight. Think of how unalterable it is. It couldn't be changed. Christ is king. King now. Think of how universal it is. This is a, a message that's for far and wide. Think of how unique it is. It presents Christ as one who's sinless, one who's a saviour, one who's a sovereign. This man read it and was converted. You can be converted tonight. You can be saved even where you sit. You can be saved at the end of this meeting. Recognize you're a sinner. Recognize that you need to be saved and that Christ is sinless. Repent of your sin. Go to the Lord and say, Lord, I've sinned and I'm truly sorry. And receive Christ as your Savior. Receive him as your sovereign. Look to him. Live for him. Be loyal to him. Will you do that tonight if you're not saved in this meeting? May the Lord bless these few thoughts to your heart.